Proverbs, I think maybe some favorite verses of people tonight. Proverbs 3. Let me read verses 1 through 10. Context. Remember, this is my son, the first nine chapters. He addressed his son in chapter 1, verse 8, 10, 15. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now in our text, our chapter, um, he starts off with that phrase, my son, verse 1. The next section, he does it again in verse 11, my son. And then also lastly, verse 23. So it's nicely framed for us. You can see he continues on giving instruction. Uh, My son, not only for a father to his boy, but a mother to his daughter, a mentor to, you know, a disciple, so to speak. It's instruction. That's the idea. Let me read the text. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Notice that a lot of times when you read Proverbs, there's going to be an instruction, a command, an imperative, followed by a result, a reward, something that's given to you if you do it. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So what? So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Familiar territory here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Know him. Literally, in all your paths, know him. And he will make straight, smooth your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Here's the result of that. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It has a physical ramification. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, another reward, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So tonight, I'm just going to mark them down if you want to take notes. This is what we have them on the screen here tonight, the main points. Number one, four marks of a wise person. Four marks of what? And at the same time, simultaneously, it's really four means of growing in wisdom. So if this is what characterizes, this is what marks a wise person, but it's also things that you yourself, and can I add, and I'm, I'm trying to say it a few times tonight, as you're growing your children, um, they need to grow in these areas so that they become wise. So the first one, and I'm just going to take the words out of the text because they're the imperatives. Number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You can believe in God, yet still trust something or someone else for your significance, your security, and your happiness. And that is your real God. So whatever you're trusting for those things, whatever you're really trusting in for your security and your significance and your happiness and your satisfaction... That is the real God that you worship. Now, in the text, look what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's the antithesis? And do not lean 
on your own understanding. So this is a choice between who you will trust as you navigate life and make wise choices. You can trust the Lord or you can trust in your own resources. You can live out his wisdom or you can lean on your own. That's the idea. And I would tell you tonight, honestly, I think you're probably going to agree, we often hide how we do uh, these types of things um, from ourselves. In fact, I often think we're blind to it. And it's not until something goes wrong in our life that we actually see, oh, maybe I do get my significance from the wrong place. Maybe, maybe I do find my identity in the wrong, my, my, my security in the wrong place. Maybe, maybe God is not the source of satisfaction like I thought he was. See, when your career starts to tank, the job you thought you'd be there forever doesn't work out forever. And when you find that out and you lose that job or you have to change careers and you're out of work for a while and they don't hire you back very quickly, see, you might realize, oh, I know my identity is in Christ, but I'm really struggling with this because I'm recognizing, you know what, I find out my identity is more about my performance than I thought. Maybe it's more in my title or my job, or how people see me now that I don't have that job anymore, I don't have that position anymore, I'm not making that kind of money anymore. Maybe my identity was more into the success I had than I really thought. And it's not until those things happen to us, like our family. See, a lot of people say, you know what, my real satisfaction is in God until your children don't turn out right. Something happens to them. They rebel against God. And so you come to the realization, oh, you know what, I love my children, but do I love them as much as God? Cancer, we heard that word three times tonight. And we're going to hear it a lot more, unfortunately. And I can tell you, and often not for good, I've seen a lot of people reveal who they really were when they heard that word, cancer. It would be hard for any of us, no matter how saintly or spiritual you might think that you really are to be able to get the diagnosis that you weren't looking for cancer but often too often that reveals who we are and where we're finding our source of happiness and here's what god says you want to have wisdom trust in the lord don't lean on don't put your weight on Don't think that you can be carried by, supported by, all those other things. Your job won't be able to do it. Your family, your wife, your children, tell God every day that you love him supremely. And spell it out for him. Tell him how much you love your wife or your husband, but how you love him much more. Tell him how you love your children, but they are nothing in comparison to how you love him. Tell them that all the time. You know why? Because you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. Because without it, it's difficult to trust the Lord when all those things that we say we're not finding our satisfaction and happiness and security and significant from are taken out from us. And we find out what our real God is because the world is constantly putting in front of us alternate gods, counterfeit gods, One of them that is probably the most prominent in the book of Proverbs is money. 
finances. Let me tell you what it looks like, right, to find your security in money. Turn to Proverbs 18. If you don't have these two verses memorized, I would encourage you to. Proverbs 18, 10, and 11. As often is the case in Proverbs, there's a contrast going on. Remember, Proverbs are more than just empirical knowledge. It's not just an accumulation of some wise facts. It's more than just tips on how to maintain your morality. Proverbs, not promises, Proverbs are descriptions on how ordinary life works most of the time. Obviously from God's point of view. And he wants to tell us about how that is specifically true when it comes to your money. And Proverbs 18.10 says... The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Let me tell you what that means. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that when they came up in the first major city of the conquest of Canaan, what was the distinguishing feature of Jericho? Yeah, walls, I mean, so big around that you could ride chariots side by side on them. The significance of walls and towers made your city strong. Every city that was strong, that was fortified and protected and kept its citizens safe, had big walls, big towers on those walls. Towers on the walls so you could get up high, look over the distance, and you could see the enemy coming. You had plenty of time to get everybody inside and prepare for battle. That was crucial, absolutely essential. So a city, in fact, Proverbs 25, 28 says, he that does not have any rule over his own spirit, if you're undisciplined, you're like a city broken down and without walls. In other words, when you don't have any discipline to your desires and your lust and your passions, you're like a city that doesn't even have any walls or towers. You're defenseless. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs. What does a righteous person do? The name of the Lord is his strong tower. Now, when you talk about the name of the Lord, it's not talking about God, Yahweh, Jesus. Not name like that, although that's part of it. The name of the Lord, the names of God stand for all that God is. We might call them their God's perfections or his attributes. And so when you say the name of the Lord, you're not just talking about one specific name. You're talking about all that God is. So where does the righteous person find their security in difficult times, in ultimate issues, when the battle is facing them and the enemy is right outside the gate, where do the righteous people run? Well, they run to God. They find their security not in external things, but eternal things. They find their security and their protection and their hope in God and who he is, not in who they are or what they have. In contrast, verse 11 states it this way, and notice the interchange between strong tower and strong city. A rich man, which is in contrast to a righteous man, he doesn't find it in the Lord. That's not where he runs. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. So where does he find security in? Where does he run to? A rich man runs to his money. Because he has this deception that he's believed, this lie, that somehow if you have enough money, it'll get you out of all troubles. 
A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. In other words, he's got so much money, so much stuff socked away that he's built this wall that's impregnable and there's no way that anything could happen to him that he can't handle. But what he doesn't know is he's wrong. He's wrong. So here's the question. What do you run into for security? When things are bad in your life and you don't know where to turn, where do you turn? Where do you run? See, some people run to the mall because they, they need some sort of distraction. So they buy things thinking that I'm not happy in any other area of my life. I'll be happy. Let me just buy something. Let me get a box from Amazon in the mail. Some people do it. They run to their strong tower is feeling better. So they'll take medications or they'll take drugs or they'll drink alcohol. The righteous run into the God, his name and who he is. They run into it and they find security in him. So when the bottom of life drops out at times and they don't have the money they thought they had and they're not sure how they're going to make the mortgage, their life doesn't fall apart because that's not their security and that's not where they find their significance. Their tower and their strength is the Lord and because of that, they're able to trust him. See how it works? Trust in the Lord, watch, with all your heart. Not some of your heart, not part of your heart, all of your heart. And when he says all of your heart, only time used in Proverbs, it denotes a completeness, a wholeness. In other words, you, God wants you to trust in him, honor him, love him, worship him, find your security and significance in him completely. And there aren't any rivals. There aren't anyone who can compete for the affections of your heart, only him that's what it looks like. And then when you trust in that way, see, you can face anything that you, God brings into your life. What it looks like is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand before Nebuchadnezzar. They were told to bow down and they did not. But they trust. They trust in the Lord with all their heart. And they don't know why God brought them to that place. They don't know why they're the ones who were singled out. And they didn't lean on their own understanding, but they trusted him. In fact, that's what Nebuchadnezzar says. His appraisal of the entire situation in Daniel 3.28 was, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who trusted in their God. That's his summary of it. See, when they didn't know the outcome and it was uncertain and they didn't know how it was going to end up, they trusted him. That's what Proverbs 3.5 is teaching. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not in your own self, not in your wisdom, not in your resources. God, Daniel knew the writing was signed about praying to anyone else but the king. 6.10. He's thrown into the fire, to the lion's den. And the king asked him, did your God able to save you? Yes, and here's what, here's what Cyrus, the Persian, said. God saved him because Daniel believed in his God. He believed. He had faith. He trusted him. That's, see, that's what God's looking for. So, Pastor Walker, what does that have to do with wisdom? Everything. You know, there are excessive emotions surrounding things that you make the functional trust of your heart. If you're not careful, your career will be the functional center of your heart or your wealth or your spouse or your children or romantic relationship. That's the source of your significance and your satisfaction and your security. And if that is so, 
and you're blind to it. You will be inordinately shaken, anxious, angry, depressed if anything at all threatens the stability of any of those things. See, in our lives, we need to differentiate between what is ultimate and penultimate. Penultimate is a word that means very important, but not as important as the ultimate thing. In other words, you have to have your life in order. You have to know what really matters most. And Proverbs says, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That's what matters most. Second, number two, he says, back back to Proverbs 3, if you would. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Here's secondly, in all your ways, in all your paths, in all your roads, Know him. Acknowledge him. Put it this way in in modern English. Submit to God in every area of your life. That's what he's saying. Submit to God in every area of your life. Depend on wisdom from God every day and in everything, i.e. not yours. So don't lean on your own understanding, but in contrast, acknowledge him. Not your wisdom, not how you think it should work, Not what you were taught growing up, if it doesn't in keeping with God's word. Depend on God. Know him. And and, and I drew a line in my Bible because it says, listen, in all your heart, see, circle all, and then draw a line, all your ways. See that? See, all your heart is inside trust, internal trust. When I'm trusting God, in my heart, I give him everything my whole heart completely i'm not segregating it off there is no secular sacred divide i'm not saying there's this dichotomy going on hey god the things that are spiritual you get this but all the secular things about my job and my money and my house and my cars and my vacations that's all my wisdom that's not what what he's saying all your heart all your ways see all your heart is internal trust all your ways is external trust and they go together And the reason that you don't trust him externally is because you don't trust him internally. They go together. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The word path weighs all over the book of Proverbs. And what you find that in most cases that those Hebrew words are used, it's a contrast. And often the contrast is antithetical in the sense that here's some ways, the righteous ways contrasted with wicked ways. Ways that lead to life, paths that lead to death. There are ways of lies and deceit, and there are ways of truth. There's the ways of the moral woman, there's the ways of the immoral. There's the the path of the wise, and there's the path of the foolish. Because constantly, constantly the word of God, Proverbs in particular, is putting before you that you have to make choices. Our one is this, it says... If you trust the Lord with all your heart, don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, externally, know him in it. Know him, acknowledge him. Here's what it says. And he will make your paths straight. Now you go through the Bible. You know what else in Proverbs says? That there are crooked ways compared to straight ways. Straight ways are the ways that have the least amount of obstacles. But crooked ones, you take detours, you're over here, this bump, this ravine. I mean, it's a bad way to go. But see, you don't know that, and you will run into the crooked ways, and you will follow the crooked ways if you follow your wisdom. Two times, 16.5 and 14.12, 
Proverbs says this, there is a way, a path, that seems right unto a man, but its end leads to death. See, when he got on this road, it looked right. It seemed right. Can I say it? It felt right. But it says, you know where it ended up? Death. That's what happens when you lean on your wisdom and not God's. That's what happens when internally or externally you're not trusting him. He says, I want to make your paths straight. I want you to follow in the way that is smooth. That kind of road. Every part of your life. So ask yourself, whose wisdom decides on how I spend my money? Whose wisdom is what I use and live by when it comes to how I relate to people and how I respond to people, especially people who frustrate me, irritate me, or I might not even like? Whose wisdom is used to decide how you will allocate your time? Is it what your kids want? Is that who decides it in the wisdom of our day? Be careful. I've gone down that road when it came to sports. How, have you, how do you see yourself? How do you view the world in which you live? See, in all your ways, all your paths, ask yourself, is God being known? Do I know him? Do I recognize him in this path? When I make this decision, is God part of it or is he just on the sideline? I tell young people all the time, see, there's two ways to go about life. You could say, I'm writing my story. Let me figure out how God fits into it. Because I don't want to leave him out. But the Bible teaches the other way. God already has a story. And the question you have to ask is, how do I fit into his story? See, if you're writing your story, it won't matter what he says about where you go to college. It won't matter what the career you choose is. And then when you get married, it won't matter who it is. And it won't matter where you live and why you make that choice and the money you use. And it won't matter. Why? Because it's really your story. And when it's convenient and easy, your wisdom will try to slide them in. Because you're not like a pagan, right? But that's not wisdom from God. God says, I have a story. I've been writing it centuries before you ever existed. And the answer is, will you put your life in my story? So that's what, that's what he says. He says that you are to trust him. And then it says, fear him. And, that's the thir- and number three, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Five or six times, wise in your own eyes is mentioned. And let me tell you this. What's the opposite of that? Wise in your own eyes. Again, choice of wisdom. Will I be God's wisdom or my wisdom? There's a choice of God's wisdom or yours, trusting God or trusting yourself. God's paths or your paths. And what does it look like? Well, the opposite of being wise in your own eyes is fearing God and departing from evil. So I can tell you this. Put this together in your mind. Someone who has no respect for God, no desire for God, God is not in his thoughts, not in his ways, not in his path. He doesn't really trust him. He doesn't make considerations of him. And he toys with evil, plays with it, says, I can handle it. That person is wise in his own eyes. That teenager is wise in his own eyes. I think one of my children, when they were 16, told me, Dad, I'm 16 now. I think I can make my own decisions. (laughs) When I stopped laughing, 
I told him, I said, well, you can. You can have all the decisions. How you're going to survive, how you're going to pay rent, where you're going to get gas and pay for your car. You can have all of them because it's a package deal. And I think they said, yeah, I'm not really that ready. Because <laughs> there's no fear of God there. Depart from evil. Depart from evil. See, wise in your own eyes. See, you're wise in your own eyes when you ignore what God says about what you should watch on TV and the music you listen to and the books that you read and the places you go. And See, proper perspective. Fearing God and, fearing, and departing from evil gives you the ability to have a right perspective that your wisdom isn't sufficient. In fact, it's not good. I tell people, especially teenagers, never get counsel from someone who doesn't fear God. I don't care how much of an expert they are. I'm not interested in your counsel if you don't fear God. Why? Because you left the main component out, the main one out. The Bible wants us to have all kinds of counselors in our life, but not ones who don't fear God. Many of us listen only to people who want us to tell us what we want to hear. But we need to look at people, other races, other classes, other political persuasions, if they fear God, not just because they're those things, but because they are those things and they fear God and they want to follow God. Wise people gather a community of counselors who know God's word and his wisdom and they get second opinions. Teenagers, and I was one and so were you, are usually adverse to the advice of older people. Why? Because they're wise in their own eyes. Because they don't fear God. Not like they should. And here's what Proverbs says. Here's the mark of someone who's wise, someone who's growing in wisdom. You know what it is? You're not wise in your own eyes, but instead you fear God. You depart from evil. And lastly, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, it says, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Interesting word, honor. It's the Hebrew word kabod, and what it means is heavy. And it actually at times talks about weight, your physical weight. Eli, it says, was heavy and he sat on the bench. And when he heard the news that the ark was taken and his two sons were killed in battle, he fell off and he was so heavy that when he fell on the ground, it broke his neck. And the comparison in the passage is God's glory and the word for glory of the ark is kabod, heavy. But Eli's weight, same word. Kabod, heavy. And the contrast in the passage is that Eli was heavier than God. (laughs) That's the idea. And it doesn't mean weight, it meant value. It meant how much you meant, how important you were. See, the way we use our wealth demonstrates how much or how little we value God. Is God heavy in your life? And the answer to that is, Take a look at your bank account and your checkbook. No one uses that anymore. Look at your bank account. An inordinate love of money and a confidence in its power, can I say this to you nicely, is blinding. Blinding. The best way to break the power of money in your life is to give it away. This is how God intended Israel to live. And in the text, he says, here's what you do if you want to make God heavy with your wealth. If you want to make God's glory in your wealth prominent, you give away the first fruits to God. 
Now, in the Old Testament, if you read Leviticus and other places, first fruits were this. When they had a crop come in, you had to give the first part of it to God, and you had to leave the fringes of all of your crops for all the poor people. Now, listen, you know what? It took faith to do this. It took trusting the Lord. You know why? Because God told you to do that up front before you knew how big your harvest was going to be because if it was a year with drought and you didn't get a whole lot you still had to give God your first fruits and you still had to leave stuff around the edges for the poor so here's what they say God here's my first fruits for I I know what's going to happen before anything I know is going to take place with all the uncertainty that may happen and this crop may not be nothing God you're first and others and then me (laughs) can I tell you that that's wisdom that's wisdom. You hear the story about a farmer. A farmer went up to his pastor and he said, Pastor, my cow unexpectedly had two calves. And so I decided one calf for me, one calf for God in the church. He says, when they grow up a little bit, I'm going to take them to market. When I sell them, keep that money for that calf of mine for me. And I'm going to give all that other money for the other calf to God and the church. Well, it was a couple months later that the farmer came back to the pastor and he was all dejected. His face saddened. Pastor said, what's wrong? Farmer said, you're not going to believe this, but the Lord's calf died. (laughs) And see, isn't that how we look at it sometimes? See, we do everything that we want with our money. We do everything that we want first. And then if there's any excess, if there's any leftover, we give it to God. I had people tell me, Pastor Walker, wow, I've got this bill and I've got to pay this and I might lose this if I don't. You want me to start giving God 10% now? I go, absolutely. You know why? First fruits means I don't know what the outcome will be. And here's what he says, honor me, honor me. You know what God said to Eli? You honor your sons more than me. So you let them do the offerings the wrong way. And he did it throughout his life. You put your children, Eli, in front of me. You made them more, you let them get away with stuff. You let them do stuff. You didn't stop them. You didn't say no. You honor your children more than me. And God says, now that honor will be taken from you. You won't be that anymore. So it's not the house of Eli never continued. His line was destroyed. Why? Because he didn't honor God. See, that's what God's looking at. Here's the mark of wisdom. God, I don't know what the future is. I don't know how much money I'm going to make. I don't know if there's going to be a hospital bill, a car bill, a house bill. I don't know what's going to happen this year. But every check on the top of it, you get that 10%. Right off the bat, without question, you do. See, we need to start saying to God, because he means more to us than anyone else, One of the ways we can show him how valuable he is is we plan it. We're committed to giving to God all the time faithfully, not when it's convenient only. And listen, I'm so thankful, and Pastor Martin said it, and it's still true, God's people at Faith Baptist Church are faithful givers, and more so. I mean, to listen throughout the year to all the special offerings we take for the RCs and other ministries and missions and things that take place and just the... The uh, private generosity of God's, we are blessed. At faith. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir tonight in that sense, but let me tell you this. We all need to do it in 2020 to honor the Lord. It's a mark of wisdom. It's what God wants us to do. And can I say this as we close? If you have trouble with that level of generosity, 
what you really need to take a look at is you and I need to be what I call pervasively generous. Pervasively, meaning this. Generosity is not something you can compartmentalize to one area of your life. Like, I'm going to be a generous giver, but you have to be generous pervasively. Relationally, emotionally, verbally, in all the ways that you can be generous. I'm generous with my kindness and my patience and my words and my love. I'm generous and I think the best of people. I don't always think the worst. I don't jump to conclusions. See, I'm emotionally, I don't get all angry without knowing the fact. See, See, I'm generous and it's true in all the areas of my life. And see, when that's who I am consistently, then the money will follow. But if I just try to single it out and say, hey, I know I've never done this before. Now I need to be generous with my money. No, God says, no, I want you to be a generous person, period. And let it overflow because it's who you are, because that's the wisdom that you live by. That's how you navigate life. That's the path that you've chosen. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be marked by wisdom in all these areas of our lives. We need your help because it's a choice. Indeed, it is. Each and every day, small ways and big ways. God, help us not just say, this little one doesn't matter. It does matter. In all our ways, we want to know you, acknowledge you. We want to trust you internally and externally. That's the kind of wisdom that we're asking that you would give to us. And Father, you're, we want to remind you tonight about the prayer of Solomon. When you said, ask anything you want from me, and Solomon prayed that you'd give him wisdom to lead your people well. He, He didn't ask for money and riches and power and fame. He knew where his significance came from. He knew where his security was. He knew what he needed to do if he was to maintain his relationship with you. He prayed for and asked for what mattered most, your wisdom. And so we, in turn, do the same. We're not interested so much about what you give to us materially or physically or monetarily or any of those other things as much as we need your wisdom so that you will become heavy in every decision that we make as we navigate through this life. Please answer that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.